men, we all have people who are looking up to us. It might be children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. The boys and the girls and the young people of this congregation look up to us as Christian men and as members of this church. The question is, what kind of example are we setting for those who look to us? Another way of asking this is, what kind of legacy are we leaving to the next generation? We hear that word legacy, and, and I just think about what does this word mean, and so I looked it up, and, and basically, legacy is what you leave the people that you're closest with after you're gone. That's your legacy. It's what lives on after you die. It's how you're going to be remembered. It's the impact that you made while you were on this earth. But the, so the question isn't not if you're going to leave a legacy, because all of us will leave a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave? You know, a legacy isn't something that's sort of locked away in a safety deposit box that's opened up and dispersed after you die. No, a legacy, the legacy you leave, it's the legacy that you're living right now. It's the legacy that you live every single day. That's why I've entitled this sermon, not a legacy worth leaving, but a legacy worth living. What kind of life What kind of legacy men are we living today? How are you investing in your family, in your friends, in the next generation? What kind of legacy are you living right now? Because that is the legacy that you will end up leaving. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalms 127 and 128. As I was planning out our summer in the Psalms, I was thankful that there are two great Psalms that we can use on Father's Day. These are wisdom Psalms. So they kind of work like extended Proverbs. It almost sounds like something you'd read in the book of Proverbs. And these two Psalms work beautifully together to address the roles that we men and husbands and fathers play at home and even out in our community. And the psalmists here use some vivid word pictures that really kind of connect and resonate with men. Maybe not as well as candy bars, but they do connect and resonate well. I mean, he uses analogies like weaponry, yeah, and construction, yeah, and yard work, gardening. You know, we love that, don't we? Maybe not so much that, but we can certainly relate to those things. And the psalmist uses these analogies to help us think about the kind of legacy that we are living and leaving, both at work, at home, in our community, and and they really help us to understand how our families and our communities are are more a gift from the hand of God than just uh, the the, the work of our own hands. So let's dive into these two psalms and see what they can tell us about leaving the kind of legacy that's worth living, the kind of legacy that's worthy of our children to live as they follow our footsteps. And the first one is Psalm 127. And this psalm helps us to understand the importance of living a legacy of faith. So let's read this together. Unless the Lord builds the house, its its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. 
Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, what we're going to learn and experience this morning. And we just pray that your spirit would open our hearts, open our minds to what you have to say, to help us, to challenge us, to equip us, to be better parents and grandparents, to be better men and women who are given such a holy task of speaking truth and living an example and shaping the generation behind us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that this psalm tells us about living a legacy of faith is that we have to trust the Lord to build our houses. Trust the Lord to build your house. That's right there in in verse 1, the first part of verse 1. Now there's a double meaning in this verse. If you notice in your uh, your Bible, you'll probably see under the, the, the psalm heading there, Psalm 127, it says a song of ascents. And what that meant is the pilgrims, as they were ascending to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was up, up high in elevation, so you always had to go up to Jerusalem. So as they're ascending to Jerusalem to go worship and make sacrifices at the temple, this is one of the psalms that they would sing. So when it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders uh, labor in vain, that can both be talking about God building His temple, but also God building our homes. I think it refers to both of those which makes sense in a Jewish context because in a Jewish context, every Jewish home is considered a little mini-temple. And every father is the priest for his family. But how does this apply to us as Christians today? Well, Jesus said to Simon Peter, you remember, in Matthew 16, 18, He said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Who will build Jesus' church? Who will build Jesus' church? I know. Wake up, y'all. Who will build Jesus' church? Jesus. He will. And who must build our houses? Jesus. I find that interesting that there are these two great institutions, these two great parts of our society are built not by us, but by God. God builds the home and God builds His church. And to try to build either apart from God's direction and power and blessing is vanity. You're wasting your efforts. But if we're trusting in the Lord to build His house and to build our houses, then they will both withstand every attack that the world or the devil can throw at them. See, we can't build a strong family and be the kinds of husbands and fathers we need to be apart from God. Men, we must pray for wisdom and patience and love and strength if we're going to parent well. We need to pray for humility and servant hearts and grace and patience so we can be better husbands. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And you compare that to what Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Guys, if you're like me, sometimes you feel like you don't have what it takes to be a good husband, to be a good father. You may feel like you don't have what it takes to be a good deacon, 
or a good Sunday school teacher. There are many days I, I feel like I don't have what it takes to be a good pastor. You see, that's, that's the beauty of it. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Without Jesus, we won't measure up. But with Jesus, we can do all things. So we rely on Him for the ability and the knowledge and the wisdom and the strength and the patience and the grace to fill these roles. That's why it's so vital for the future of the church, for the future of our families, for the future of this nation, for us to reclaim biblical manhood and womanhood. We need men and women, moms and dads, who are going to love the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And men, it is especially important for you to be in worship, to be in Sunday school, to be serving in and through your church. Your church needs you men. And your families need to see you worshiping and growing in your faith and serving the Lord. In fact, studies have showed us that children whose fathers are actively engaged in church are infinitely more times, I can't even remember the statistic off the top of my head, but it's, it's, it's astronomical, their likelihood of staying involved in church after high school increases when their dads are actively involved in church. We need to pray for God to help us build our families as we are working to, to mold them and to shape them into godly men and women to, to help us lead our children to faith in Christ and then to disciple them as they grow into Christ's likeness. The second thing we need to do to live a legacy of faith is not only trust the Lord to build our house, but to trust the Lord to guard our cities. That's the second part of verse 1. Just as we can't properly build our houses apart from God, we can't even guard our cities without Him. This reminds me of Nehemiah. You remember when he came back uh, from Babylon and he goes back to Jerusalem and, and, and the, the, the walls and the gates are in shambles and so he raises up the citizens and the people he brought with him to start to rebuild the walls. And do you remember there was great opposition to that? And that, so they had to work with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. They had to build while they were also prepared for battle. Because Satan wants to tear down and destroy what we build for the Lord. Our families, our churches, and our communities are under attack. And we can't build them to stand strong unless the Lord builds them through us. And we can't adequately guard them from the enemy apart from the Lord's watchful care and powerful protection. Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 to be watchful and to guard the church against false doctrine. Peter encourages us in 1 Peter 5, 8 to be self-controlled and alert because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this reminds me again of, of what Jeremiah told the, the Jews that were in captivity in Babylon. He told them to seek the welfare of of the city where I've sent you into exile, and to pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. So we should be praying for and working toward building up and strengthening and protecting our communities. And I believe one of the greatest ways that we can be a part of doing that, of, of strengthening our community, of making McDuffie County and Thompson a better place to live, is to be better husbands and fathers. And to encourage the men that we know to engage in their communities and in their churches and with their children. You know, fatherlessness is a growing epidemic in our country. And it, the effects of it are devastating across the board. Just a, a few statistics 
Nearly 24% of children in America today live in fatherless homes. It's almost a quarter. Children in fatherless homes are four times more likely to live in poverty. Fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, statistically speaking. Children of single-parent homes, statistically speaking, are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. Now, of course, not every child in a fatherless home is in danger of turning out so poorly. And, you know, history is just full of great men and women who came from fatherless homes and went on to, to, to do wonderful things. What made a difference for them? How did they escape those kinds of statistics? Well, if you look into their lives, you'll see that they may not have had a father at home, but they had men in their lives who shaped them, who molded them, who encouraged them as they were growing up. And men, that's why I say that we can better our community simply by being present and being involved in the community. Studies further show that if the number of fathers are low in a neighborhood, just move outside of a household, if the number of fathers in a particular neighborhood are low, there's an increase in teenage violence. Statistical data shows that a 1% increase in the, in the proportion of single-parent families in the neighborhood is associated with a 3% increase in an adolescent's level of violence. That means that when men are more involved in the community, investing in the lives of children, it has a positive effect. So men, when you're at work in our community, when you're at work in our church, when you're driving kids uh, from Raysville so they can come to VBS or come to worship, when you're coaching upward basketball, when you're teaching Sunday school, when you're working on Wednesday night with teen kids or down at the warehouse with our youth, you're making a difference in their lives, you're making a difference in their homes, and you are bettering our community. We trust the Lord to use us to build our homes and to guard our cities. And then thirdly, trust the Lord to provide for your family. We see that in verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Adding to the crisis of fatherless in our country, you've got lots of dads that are present, they're at home, but they're so busy and they're so distracted and they're so disengaged from their children's lives. Not always, but oftentimes because they're overworked. Now we all know that in our country over the past you know, 10, 12 years or so, pay has stagnated. A lot of parents have had to work extra jobs or work extra hours just to make ends meet. And that's unfortunate. left a lot of kids to raise themselves. Or at the very least, it's left a lot of parents feeling disconnected from their kids. I mean, just talk to a teacher and ask them what, to compare the level of parental involvement today in their children's education and school than it was 10, 15 years ago. And it's remarkably decreased. And I think this problem stems in part from an ever-growing, materialistic, consumeristic lifestyle in our country. We may be working more and more today than we have in the past, but how much of that is stuff we really need? And how much of that is stuff that we just want? Now, I think if we could live to, to learn to live more simply, you know, we might be able to cut back on some of our work and spend a little bit more time with our children. I'll tell you, your kids want your time far more than they want your presence and your gifts. They want your presence more than they want your presence. You get what I'm saying? 
But you know, I think it's also partly due to a lack of trust. We trust more in our ability to earn than we do in God's ability to provide. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us not not to worry or be anxious about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. He says instead, if we seek first God's kingdom, He will provide these needs to us. He will add all of that to us. So I want to encourage you, especially the dads and the husbands in the room today, take some time to evaluate whether you're overworking yourself out of materialism and greed or whether you're working yourself out of a lack of faith in God, or whether you're working yourself out of true necessity, which I'm sure that happens. I know that does happen. But we need to trust the Lord for His peace, for His provision, and for Him to give us times of rest. Man, it is okay to rest. It is okay to to not answer those emails and to put down that phone and to not go into the office. It's okay to rest. The Lord gives sleep to those He loves, it says right here. Rest is a gift and a blessing from God. And then the next thing it tells us in verses 3 through 5 is we need to trust the Lord to help us disciple our children. And I want you to notice in these verses that when we trust in God, what He blesses us with is a living legacy of godly children. It's like the dad in the video said to his son through that letter. He said, you're the legacy that I'm leaving. And look what it says here about children in verses 3 through 5. It tells us that children are a gift. They're a heritage and a reward. One of the great lies of our culture today that, that, that our culture is spreading about marriage and about parenting is that being married and having kids is just a burden. That it's just a drag. According to the Pew Research Center, and, and I know sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? I mean, I know it does. Let's be honest. But according to the Pew Research Center, marriages are on the decline in our country by 9% over the last 25 years. Now, 9% may not sound like a lot, but you consider the the, the 300 and whatever million people in our country, that's a huge decrease. At the same time, cohabitation is on the rise. And one of the main reasons cited for the rise in cohabitation and and the decrease in marriage is the unwillingness of men to marry. Now, why is that? I think we've got a lot of men in this country that don't want to grow up. They want to be kids. They don't want to be men. They don't want to have to put other people before themselves. They don't want to have to sacrifice for the sake of others. And so the institution of marriage is under attack. It's been redefined by our culture, and it's being undervalued by our culture. And so is fatherhood and motherhood. The birth rate in our country is at an all-time low. Experts say that the optimal birth rate, in other words, this is the replacement rate, the number of babies you got to have to replace people who die, okay? The optimal birth rate is 2.1. That's births per woman in the country, 2.1. That's the number they use. In the early 20th century, the birth rate was 3.0. This has, on average, three uh, children per woman in the country. In 2017, the U.S. birth rate had fallen to 1.7 meaning that as far as births go, we're not on pace to keep up with the death rate in our country. That's nearly half as few births as there were a century ago. It's a real problem. And I think one of the reasons for this is our society has forgotten the intrinsic value of marriage and parenthood. 
Children are seen as an inconvenience. Now, I want you to think, think a minute about a modern-day sitcom. Maybe you've got a favorite sitcom you like that, that's been out in, in the past, say, ten years. How many of the characters in that sitcom were married? How many of them were parents? Very few. And oftentimes, if there's a couple in the sitcom that get married, usually it's the last episode of the show. It's like, that's it, y'all. They're married. Life is over. Mitchell, that's not true, buddy. Okay, I want you to know. It's only going to start awesome. Okay, Mitchell's getting married on Friday. So, you know, but think about that. Think about those sitcoms. And think about the ones that end up having kids. Well, they become sort of the poor adults on the show who can't have any fun anymore, who lose touch with what's hip and cool. And all the other singles on the show, well, they just go on with their lives without them. And that's a far cry from the old classic sitcoms like the Andy Griffith Show or Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best. It's a huge paradigm shift in our culture. And so the message that's being sent to young people today is that being single equals being free. Being single equals being happy and independent and successful because you can focus on your career, your goals, your happiness. But the Bible teaches, and our society has historically understood, that children are a gift from God. They're a reward. They're a blessing. They're a gift of God's grace. And the irony is that if you ask most parents, they'll tell you that having children was one of the greatest things that ever happened to them. Does it change you? Yes. But I believe for the better. It broadens your horizons. Studies show it actually increases your levels of happiness. It provides a depth to life that can't be explained. Children are a gift. Secondly, children are like arrows. Now that may seem like a weird analogy to compare children to weapons, although they can do a lot of destruction, right? I mean, it's, so maybe that does make sense. But, but here the analogy is you've got a father and he's being, prepared, he's being uh, portrayed as a warrior in battle, right? His, he's got enemies at the gate. He's got to go fight. And his children are the arrows that he needs to succeed in defeating his enemies. You know, I believe that children are invaluable to parents in warring against the enemies of God's kingdom, the devil, his demons, the sins of, 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 of the flesh. Have you ever thought about your children as invincible weapons to be shot out into the world for the kingdom of God? Sounds pretty epic. It's like something from Lord of the Rings or something. You know, Jesus said that we're to be salt in the earth, right? We're to be the light of the world. As disciples, Jesus says that He is sending us out into this world to make an eternal impact. Well, the same is true for our children. Our children should be the first and foremost people that we are meant to lead to faith in Christ and to grow into disciples and to release into the world for the kingdom of God. That is our job as Christian parents. And notice two things about these arrows. Notice their potential and their purpose. Okay, their potential when they're in the quiver, right? When arrows are in the quiver, there's potential there. They're, the potential is that they're supposed to be released at a target. And we should raise our children to be released into the world, to be aimed at Christ and fulfilling His great commission. Your children at home as you're raising them have great potential to make an impact on this world for the cause of Christ. And we don't often understand the potential they have. And so our job is to nurture them and to raise them and to help draw out from them this great potential that God has put within them. But then also look at their purpose. 
Because once they're drawn and once they're in the hand of that warrior, once they're put into that bow, their purpose, once they've been prepared and they've been cared for and they've been aimed at that, at that enemy with precision and intentionality, their purpose is to be released. And lots of times as parents, we don't want to release our children. We want to protect our children. We don't want them to get hurt. We don't, we don't want to let them go and do things that might be dangerous. We, we want to keep them to ourselves. But children are meant to be released. They're meant to be launched into this world. And a warrior that has crafted and taken good care of his arrows and whose aim is true, those arrows aren't going to let him down when the enemy attacks. And I believe parents, if we've parented well and intentionally with God's help for the purpose of releasing our children into this world as disciples who make disciples, as warriors for Jesus, we're not going to be put to shame. And our church wants to partner with you and helping you to do that. We, we provide opportunities and events and resources like the, the, the board and the atrium. We want to help you to lead your children to faith in Christ, to disciple them and to equip them, to help them to embrace their identity in Christ, to discover their God-given purpose and to release them into the world, flying straight and true for the kingdom of God. That's what we want to help you as moms and dads do. Now let's look real quick at Psalm 128 and discover not only are we supposed to li live, a, live a legacy of faith, but a legacy of influence. And I want us to look just at really kind of the benefits and the blessings. If we do what we just talked about, here's the kind of legacy we can live and leave right here in, in Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. He's talking to the men, to the fathers. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within her house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, and may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's look at these real quick. The first is it says, Fathers, you will be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. You know, true happiness isn't found in how much fruit we have and how much money we make and how high up we climb the corporate ladder. It's in the ability to enjoy what God has given us, to enjoy a job well done, to, to have a sense of purposefulness and to feel satisfied because you know that you are seeing the fruit of your labor. One of the greatest blessings I have had as being your pastor is to be able to see these young people that, that I you know, watched from third and fourth grade at Kids Quest on Tuesdays all the way up through the warehouse and, and youth group, and now they are moms and dads and deacons and committee chairs, and they are owning businesses and working, and, and I'm getting to dedicate their children and do their weddings. I can't tell you the blessing. It's, I'm enjoying the fruit of my labor, and I love it. And that's a promise from God. If we, can, if we can live a legacy of faith, we can experience the influence and enjoy the ability to, to, to see the fruit of our labor. But then he says wives will be happy and successful. And here we see kind of this garden theme come up right here. At, at the time, this referred to the wife having many children. But today I think we can take that and apply that, that idea not only to mothers, but just to the joy of parenting. The joy of grandparenting in general. And, and I think the idea here is that when men are men, when we step up and lead our families with gentleness and grace, when we treat our wives with love and respect and as partners in life and ministry, then our wives are going to experience greater joy and happiness and success in life. 
I mean, we say it kind of joking, but there's some truth there. Happy wife, happy life. Your wife's happiness should be more important to you than your own happiness. Amen, ladies? I'm, this happened the other day. I, I don't, maybe they disagree with me. I don't know. You know, we're in the midst of this Me Too movement as a culture, right? I mean, you hear about it all the time. And it's a weird place to be. Because on the one hand, men are rightly being held accountable for the terrible things that they're doing to women, the way they're mistreating women. But on the other hand, our culture continues to spew forth the lies of the sexual revolution. I mean, just look at Hollywood. Out of one mouth, Hollywood is saying, you know, equal pay and women deserve respect and we need more women and this, that, and the other. But out of the other mouth, they're still using sex and pornography to sell their movies. You can't have it both ways. And then we hear people talk about toxic masculinity. You know, there's an, another word for toxic masculinity. You know what that word is? Sin. It's called sin. God created men to reflect His image in a certain way, just as God created women to reflect His image in a different way. Sin takes that image of God in men and in women. So it's not just toxic masculinity. There can be toxic femininity too. Sin takes the image of God and perverts it and twists it and makes it toxic. And we see this happen throughout the Bible, beginning with Adam blaming Eve and God for his sins. God goes on after sin to explain how, the, how sin is going to damage the male-female relationship. They're going to have power struggles and distrust and contempt for one another. Listen, men trying to dominate women is not God's intention. It's the result of sin. It's not the way God created Adam and Eve to work. And as Christian men, we do have to fight the toxic messages of our culture and what it means to be a man. We need to look to Jesus. You want to know what a man is supposed to be like? Jesus Christ is the ultimate man. And He should be our model and our example. And our culture does need Christian men to be a light in the darkness. Fathers, one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is to love, respect, and sacrificially serve your wife. Because dads, your sons are going to learn from your example how to treat women. And dads, your daughters are going to learn from your example what kind of men they need to be pursuing in their life. Now, if that doesn't give you pause, I don't know what will. But it should. We need to model for our sons and our daughters what it means to be gentlemen godly men who know how to value and treat women as equal bearers of God's image. And then it tells us that children will also look up to their fathers. I mean, if you're treating your wife that way, if you're leading from this kind of place of humility and Christ-likeness, your children are going to look up to you. And here we see the garden theme continued. Children are like olive shoots growing up around the parent tree. You know, you hear the example, the, the, the apple doesn't fall from the tree. Well, it's kind of true. And the olives don't fall far from the tree either. And the image here is of your children kind of gathered around the table for a meal, looking up to their dad for guidance and instruction. And I'll tell you, mealtimes are a great opportunity to shape the hearts and minds of your children, to, to begin to help them to develop a biblical worldview, to cultivate your home so that the soil that your children are growing in is, is feeding them the Word of God, is feeding them the grace of Christ. What kind of home life are you cultivating today? The next thing in verse 5, it tells us that communities will prosper. And we've already talked about that, about the impact 
that engaged fathers and men can have on the community. In fact, this psalm even ends with peace be upon Israel. So, so again, I believe the impact becomes, it spreads to the entire nation. You know, men, we can become the army of justice and love and biblical morals and values that our lost and dying world needs. We can be lifeboats out there to save the millions of children and young people that are adrift in today's culture. Communities will prosper. And finally, God promises that grandparents will live a legacy for their grandchildren. Now, I know it's a blessing for grandparents and great-grandparents to live long enough to see those children come up. You know, it's an even greater blessing for those children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to have your godly influence in their lives. For you to teach them a perspective that they can't get anywhere else. I'm so thankful for my papa. He passed away last summer, and, and this is our, our first Father's Day without him. And I know many of you are experiencing a first Father's Day without your husband or your father or grandfather, and, and you're in my prayers. And my grandfather didn't leave me much by way of material blessing, but what he left me is of eternal worth and value. He modeled for me what it was like to be a godly husband and father and grandfather, to be a man of God who served his church faithfully for as long as I can remember. He modeled love and self-sacrifice and grace and forgiveness for me. And I, I pray I could be half the husband, father, and grandfather that he was. And what kind of legacy are you living for your family today? Are you as concerned about that as you are about the financial benefits you might leave them someday? Are you more interested in your retirement portfolio than you are in the kind of character and the kind of values that you're instilling in your children today? And you know where it all begins? It all begins with your relationship with God, your Father. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you had the opportunity to trust Him with your life and to accept His free gift of forgiveness? To let God become your Father and you can become an adopted child in His family. If you've not done that here in just a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today so that when you leave this room, you can leave knowing that your eternity is secure and you have a relationship with your Father in Heaven. But, but then it doesn't stop with that, men. I, like I said earlier, we've got to be leaders in this church. We've got to be involved. We've got to, to be giving and to be serving and to, to be involved in worship, sitting with our families on a regular basis. What is your involvement in church? Maybe God has even led you to unite with this church and say, this is where I want to grow my family. This is part of the soil that I want to raise my children in. But then men, let's take it one step further. What kind of home life are you cultivating? Are you spending time with your kids? Are you praying with them? Are you reading God's Word with them? How are you molding and shaping your children and your grandchildren today? Let's pray, and then I ask you to come and respond as God's Spirit leads today.